0: with the likes of ex-FBI agents, real estate moguls, self-made billionaires, CEOs, and best-selling authors. Our subject matter ranges from enhancing productivity, how to gain influence, the art of entrepreneurship, and more. If you're smart and like to continually improve yourself, hit the subscribe button because you'll love it here at Young and Profiting Podcast. Over the past few years, cryptocurrency has been on the tip of everyone's tongue, Words like blockchain, Bitcoin, and Ethereum have woven their way into our daily vocabulary. But what does it all mean? And why should we pay attention? Cryptocurrency may seem confusing or intimidating, but it's undoubtedly one of the most important topics of our times. Top entrepreneurs like Kevin O'Leary are calling it the biggest thing since the internet. You can't afford to sleep on this. And today's episode is gonna help you get up to speed. In this conversation our guests will teach the fundamentals of crypto and you'll understand how to get involved and why cryptocurrency could be the money of the future our lineup today includes cryptocurrency power influencer philip nunn cryptocurrency marketing strategist ohad flinker University educator and blockchain researcher Edward Lenner, and co-founders of Cryptocurrency Capital LLC, Paul Savchuk and Tim Melanick. These guys are leaders in the world of cryptocurrency, and they all agree that blockchain and cryptocurrency are creating once-in-a-lifetime opportunities, especially for millennials. Today's episodes are an edited down version of my episodes number two and three. And yes, these were recorded way back in 2018, but they're still more relevant than ever. And I put so much effort into these first few episodes that these are still amongst my favorite episodes ever. So I think you're going to really enjoy it. We'll include the links in the show notes so you can check out the full unedited versions as well. To get a grip on cryptocurrency, we should start from the beginning. Let's dive into why this new currency came into play to begin with.
1: If you actually think about globalization and how the world's become smaller, there's only really been two things that have impacted that in the last, and they've both happened in the last sort of 30 years. The first was the advent of the internet for me. Um, you know when if you remember the first sort of intranets and and the internet people were sort of laughing at it and saying it would never have uh, any impact or take on what the internet's done is given us this freedom and ability to exchange information freely with each other and instantly and the second one was then the smartphone the smartphones had more of a profound effect in terms of we're all mobile and we can sort of track where we are and what we're doing and it's a And the third one, which is this new wave that's come along is blockchain technology and cryptocurrency. And what this really means is for the first time ever in the history of the world, we're creating this internet of value whereby without any bank, government or institution in the middle, I can exchange value with you. So we would be able to exchange value with no middleman, no intermediary and within seconds from the UK to New York. And it's really quite exciting money
2: started out as a store of value that was coupled to a commodity like gold or silver. And in 1971, Richard Nixon decoupled the U.S. dollar from the value of gold, creating a fiat currency or value by decree, just because, you know, the king or the government said so. And that worked okay pretty much until people felt like they lost trust in 2008. And we trust a very small group of companies and government agencies to manage our value in the world. And that usually works until it doesn't, like in the financial crisis of 2008. And what happened very soon afterwards in 2009 is that a very small group of tech geeks ran this social experiment. Let's create our own ledger. And instead of a bank or a government agency being an organization of trust to manage that value, we'll have the crowd manage that value. And more and more people over the past decade have poured their time and resources into the Bitcoin blockchain. And it was the first real use case or proof that the blockchain can actually work.
1: You know, people who've been in that space for a long time have been sitting on this technology and waiting for the opportune moment. Because while the economic times were good and we were thriving and everything was good, if Bitcoin would have come along, it would have just been laughed, laughed away as quick as it came along. But actually when people have had enough of the banking system collapsing, government bailouts, quantitative easing, you know, if you look at countries like Cyprus, Portugal, Greece, Italy, Ireland, Argentina, Zimbabwe, I'll keep naming that we've got a massive economic crisis and that people are looking for another way and another solution. So this is why it had the maximum impact. And it's here to stay, you know, it's not going to go anywhere. And why does it work?
2: Because enough people agree that it's a store of value. And part of the reason it's such a polarizing issue is because the idea behind Bitcoin is a little bit subversive. Because the definition of money is currency issued by a government. And there is no government that issues Bitcoin. And so it's this weird new asset. But for all intents and purposes, it is working. And as a result, when people saw that it was working over the past few years, more and more other cryptocurrencies, other blockchains and other tokens or uh, units of value that are coupled to a specific blockchain such as Ethereum have been created. So if you take away Bitcoin tomorrow morning, obviously it would hurt the blockchain, but it would not make this financial genie. This thing that everybody is calling the Internet of Money or the Internet of Value, it would not make that go away, because the idea of this digital currency that is not issued by a central authority, a government, uh, a, a bank, is so powerful that the people have voted—you know—with their wallets, with their time, with their resources—that this is a thing that people want. One of the first mistakes I think people make with trying to figure out this thing called the blockchain and Bitcoin is trying to figure out the technology. And I think the more interesting question is why people are so excited about the blockchain and about Bitcoin.
3: You don't have to actually understand it, how it works. You need to understand how you can use it. And it doesn't mean that you need to make in-depth research of who created why it has value, and what kind of protocol was used. People use Amazon on their phone. They use the Google on their phone. They have no understanding how it works, but they still take benefit of it.
1: What I always say is, you know, blockchain technology, all you have to think of it is all the, all the blockchain is, is a database, a ledger, but it, as opposed to working centrally on one centralized server, it's decentralized on many different nodes and machines, and it works in a totally different way. But it's much like a buddy of mine um, on LinkedIn stated a while ago that if, you, if I got into telling you how microwave worked and the fundamentals of that, you'd probably never use one again. And most people, actually, when you talk about the internet, how many people in the world know how the internet works? If I asked you to explain exactly how Instagram worked and the fundamentals of it, you wouldn't be able to explain it and not many of us would. So really what it's all about is this thing's going to sort of slowly come underneath us like the internet did. And to understand the, the fundamentals of it, that you're moving from a centralized way of working to a decentralized way of working, that's really all you need to know. And the fact that it's going to give you a secure way of trading value
0: So, can you talk about why cryptocurrency and blockchain is important for young professionals and millennials to begin to study and get familiar with? Like, why is that important for them to start interacting with this new technology?
4: Sure. I think, particularly for millennials, your generation will be inheriting the folly of previous generations. The amount of debt that your generation is inheriting is significant. And so this opportunity, and I think, you know, every generation has this opportunity where there's significant wealth creation. So I saw this during my career, early career in the internet, where people became millionaires and billionaires. I mean, that was in internet 1.0. By the time internet 2.0 comes around, because of things like network effect, Facebook has a type of network effect that Yahoo only dreamt about in 1998, or Google had a type of network effect where they basically were able to catalog the entire world, right? Whether it be Google maps or information on the web, those types of opportunities have kind of come and gone. So in particular, I think why millennials should be interested in cryptocurrency is one, the crushing debt that, that sadly this generation will inherit. Two, and probably more importantly, it's this wealth generation opportunity of your generation. Right? If one were alive in the late 1870s, I would say railroads, you know, get into railroads, right? Or get into banking, right? Uh, try to um, figure out what John Pierpont Morgan is doing. Or if one were, if it was through the 70s, I would talk about the personal computer. But now as we're, you know, approaching 2020, this wealth generation opportunity is so salient.
0: And now a quick break from our sponsors. Young and profiters, they may call me the podcast princess, but I'm also the LinkedIn queen. I've been a LinkedIn influencer for six years now, and I teach one of the most popular courses about LinkedIn. And I love to teach sales on LinkedIn because when it comes to B2B sales, LinkedIn has got that on lock. LinkedIn is where all the decision makers are hanging out. I've got a special gift for all you young and profiters who want to try LinkedIn ads. You can get a $100 credit. LinkedIn was super generous. If you want to make B2B marketing everything it can be and get a $100 credit on your next campaign, go to linkedin.com slash yap, Y-A-P. Again, if you want to claim your credit, go to linkedin.com slash yap. Terms and conditions apply. Young and profiters, we are all making money. But is your money hustling for you? Meaning, are you investing? For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor: YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. So, how do you think cryptocurrency will change the world?
1: I mean, goodness me, I have to be careful when I do these podcasts because I don't want to get shot somehow by a uh, like a secret agent. <laughs> I'm sure I won't, but. You know, we've had a way of working for many, many years, probably hundreds of years, which is a centralized way of working. We're all very controlled by the system. And that's the biggest stranglehold this breaks. You know, guys who've had all the power have had it too good for too long. and, And I see cryptocurrency as an uprising. And this leads on to the question about helping society. I mean, you look at the world we live in and how much wealth there is in the world, it's just unfair. It doesn't work. The system does not work. We still have poverty. We still have people starving.
3: I feel like the reason why Wall Street and like the bankers are so afraid of blockchain is because everything gonna be so transparent that you will not be able to create new derivatives or, or like credit default swaps, like in which caused the mortgage crisis or which or the dot com crisis. So each time we had like depression or like stagnation or like the financial crisis, it it was because of the influence of those major players. And the reason why it happened because nobody could control it. Everything was behind the closed doors. And even if you have the account in this bank, even if you know how these financial markets work and what type of assets you can trade or invest, you still... Under the risk that bankers going to use your money five, six times more with offshore accounts or like they're not going to audit their company properly and you will not be confident that they have funds or not. And if you're talking about blockchain, to control all these processes like behind the closed doors in the open way. So everybody's going to know what's
4: happening. No matter what. I mean, I live in America. We live in America. We have banking systems, access to credit. People don't have this. And what really got me into—I've always, you know, for the last few years been so diligent about my cryptocurrency. But really, what made it so compelling for me was last December, December of two thousand and sixteen, when India took out most of its currency. They took out. What well, in America would be the equivalent of all 1s, all their 5s, all their 10s, and all their 20s, and they basically just went to high note bills, 50s and 100s. But that's this idea in economics, which we call Gresham's Law. And Gresham's Law is that the good money goes out of the economy. And that's exactly what happened in India. The Indian government gave seven hours notice Basically, it would be the equivalent of of our president saying, okay, we're no longer going to accept cash except for 50s and 100s. All that money will go out of the economy almost directly. And all those small bills are now worthless. And millions of people suffered. I'm sure thousands or hundreds of thousands uh, suffered greatly and many died. And that made me think about how important it is Uh, what we're doing in cryptocurrency is that we're providing a counter narrative to a traditional banking system. We still have people dropping bombs on Syria, which is due to, you
1: know, political sentiment and all this sort of thing. And I'm a great believer that blockchain and the, the movement of blockchain and cryptocurrency is one that can wipe out lots of this corruption and lots of this sort of lack of integrity and unfairness that exists in the world. Whether or not this actually happens, I don't know, but I think in terms of a better society, you know, there's your altruistic, there's your sort of, you know, best case scenario for me. But actually if you look at it from a us living in a Western world and going to work every day and living an honest life and doing what we do, I think what's going to happen going forward is that instead of people like Facebook and Amazon and Google and Microsoft and the big Silicon Valley companies monetizing our existence and monetizing our data and controlling that side of how we exist, I think that's going to change. So in the future, I see a future where there will be a version of Facebook. I think Facebook will be gone in 10 years completely. We'll, we'll sort of say, remember Facebook like MySpace. And there'll be a version of Facebook that'll be very much a decentralized version where we're all on there. We can exchange value with each other. So I can be in a restaurant and I will tag myself in the restaurant and I will get some tokens for doing that. So we'll all be able to monetize our existence in a better way. We'll be able to use our spare hours where we're a lawyer and we want to give two or three hours a week extra work and we'll be able to tokenize that. So we're moving to this sort of decentralized, tokenized way of working, but I think it's power to the people in that we'll all be able to create value within our own existence. And that's really powerful.
0: I know when it comes to cryptocurrency, Bitcoin kind of takes all the shine. It was the first. It's the biggest. How about Ethereum, the lesser known counterpart of Bitcoin?
2: Sure. In 2014, Vitalik Buterin, the founder of Ethereum, basically came to the Bitcoin community with a very simple and powerful idea And he basically said, if the blockchain works for Bitcoin as currency, why can't we take the same idea and apply it to pretty much any other centralized method of managing value or even of managing identity? So real estate, contracts, even digital identity could, in theory, be managed by this decentralized network. And he proposed creating another blockchain called Ethereum that would enable anybody to create a smart contract that governs a token that isn't just an asset, but has actually utilitarian use.
4: Ethereum has a blockchain, and within the Ethereum blockchain, people can write smart contracts and raise money. And so, for example, Filecoin raised money on the Ethereum blockchain blockchain. Telegram, the encrypted networking and messaging system on phones, just had an ICO. And I want to say they raised probably the largest ICO ever. Ethereum is this blockchain network, which has the opportunities and the code built into it with smart contracts to raise money.
0: So like mentioned, Ethereum is a blockchain platform that moves beyond the cryptocurrency use case. It uses smart contract technology to support solutions for things like identity and reputation systems, file storage, banking, and insurance. And here's one concrete example of an Ethereum dApp on the rise called Civic. Civic aims to help protect users' identity and provide blockchain-based, secure, low-cost, on-demand access to identity verification. This prevents the need to start from scratch every time someone requests a background verification check for something like opening up a bank account or applying for a job. With an example like this, it's easy to see why Bloomberg News writes Ethereum is the hottest platform in the world of cryptocurrencies and blockchains, and companies like J.P. Morgan Chase, Intel, and Microsoft use their resources to invest in it. But I'll be honest with you, it wasn't easy for me to find a clear, practical, live and working example of a DAP or cryptocurrency. Can you talk about how companies and industries and people find value in blockchain and the types of services and use cases there are for that technology?
4: Yeah, so I think right now a lot of people are likening the blockchain ecosphere and the development around blockchain to the internet circa 1993 1992 and that is that everyone's talking about this vast potential but if one were to go back in the archives of the internet of 1992 or 1991 there wasn't a lot of commerce going on so to liken that to blockchain now there are a lot of opportunities for applications but not everyone or all these applications are being enacted
1: this is a really interesting point. So what you've got to remember at the moment is that the whole of the cryptocurrency that has a $321 billion market cap today, and that's been as high as three quarters of a trillion dollars in December last year, everything's really still in beta phase. And by beta phase, we mean that fundamentally, the technology doesn't really work in, ev- in everyday life at the moment. So things like with Bitcoin transaction speeds, the advent of smart contracts and sort of lots of corporations are poking and prodding them to see how they can work and fundamentally change their businesses. So what we've created here is an industry where I think by the end of this year will be over a trillion dollar market cap comfortably. We've created an industry here that kind of is almost in this like R&D phase. And if you talk about the internet and the advent of the internet, we're kind of in the 1980s at the moment the equivalent. I mean, obviously, the internet really kicked in in the 90s, mid to late 90s. It really blew up. So we're kind of in the 80s, so we're 10 years behind what we would deem as the sort of start of the internet. However, because of the speed of which technology moves now, I don't think it'll be a 10-year period. So I think over the next three or four years, there's a compression will happen and the, the market cap will continue to grow and this brilliant innovations will happen. And these genius minds who've got access to capital now via initial coin offerings will create some of the most magnificent technologies of the future. So it's a really exciting time. I think what you really find in the moment is that it's more of a gimmick. So a restaurant will say, we accept Dash and Monero and Bitcoin, and, and it's more of a gimmick which can get a bit of press and profile and publicity. And so I don't think in terms of main adoption, I think what we're seeing is Bitcoin as a store of value. So people actually buying large amounts of Bitcoin as a long-term hold, as an alternative to stocks and shares and gold.
0: Hold tight, everyone. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. Young and Profiters, as you may know, I launched my LinkedIn Secrets Masterclass a little bit over a year ago. It was my first course. And so far, I've generated well over $500,000. And the best part is I didn't have to figure out how to set up my mastermind subscriptions, how to do abandoned cart targeting and all of that tech geeky stuff. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash profiting. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash profiting now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash profiting. (coughs) Young and profiters. Yap Media is growing so fast. I have 10 open roles just this month. In the past, it would take me so long to find hires. I have to go on all these different job sites. I have to create my own skills assessments. Here's a fun fact. I happen to be recording this podcast on May 22nd, which is known as Bitcoin Pizza Day. Today, Bitcoiners all over the world will celebrate the anniversary of the first real world transaction of Bitcoin and the most expensive pizzas in history. On May 22nd, 2010, a programmer paid a fellow Bitcoin user 10,000 BTC for two Papa John's pizzas. Back then, when the technology was just over a year old, that equated to about $25. But that's worth over five million dollars by today's exchange rate. At Bitcoin's all-time high last December, the pizzas would have been worth over 11 million dollars, making them the most expensive pizzas of all time. With growth like that, it's clear to see why nobody wants to buy anything with their cryptocurrency and rather they choose to invest in it as a store of value. But why is cryptocurrency growing so fast and what makes it so valuable? So, as far as cryptocurrency is concerned, how can people trust it to be something of value?
2: Well, the reality is that they do trust it. Again, there are two fiat currency, like the dollar since 1971, is a unit of value that has value because the government says it has value. Before 1971, it had value not just because the government said so, but because it was coupled to the value of gold, which People agreed has had value for thousands of years before that. But the reason it has value is because enough people agree that it has value. So that's all you really need. Enough people need to agree that it has value. And the reason that it really took off over the past couple of years is because it hit a critical mass where people are just saying, wow, this is the new thing, the new internet of money. I want to be a part of that as well.
4: When you have a cryptocurrency, when there's very few outstanding and there's a use case for it, I think it can be very highly valued. And so Bitcoin is predicated on the idea of scarcity. There will only be 21 million Bitcoin ever. Right now, there have been over 17 million mined. And so over the course of the next 100 years, there will be fewer and fewer coins mined to the point where at some point, Bitcoin will only be a store of value.
0: This idea of scarcity makes Bitcoin different from a fiat currency like the USD. Bitcoin was originally created to be a store of value similar to gold. The value of the U.S. dollar has eroded over the years because the Federal Reserve is allowed to print money. In order to prevent Bitcoin from operating like fiat, Satoshi Nakamoto included a 21 million cap on how many Bitcoins could ever exist. This way, no one can simply boost the number of Bitcoins in the same way that the Fed just prints money. The market value of Bitcoin, that is, the money that people are willing to pay for it, follows the same old supply and demand rule. A high demand increases its price and a low demand decreases it. The demand for Bitcoins is on the rise, yet its supply is limited. So in theory, Bitcoins will become more valuable in the future as scarcity sets in.
4: Metcalf's law. Metcalfe's law highlights that as you add one user to the network, it increasingly grows in value. So if you have... 10 people using a cryptocurrency and then it goes up 10x but if you have 20 people or 30 people and right now it was estimated there's only about 20 million people in all the world who hold cryptocurrency but if one were to run a Medcalf law on that, that network whether that be Bitcoin um, or the whole cryptocurrency ecosphere in general that's a very valuable network and it's only really a, a crumb of a crumb in terms of market cap I mean today I think the whole entire cryptocurrency ecosphere is under $500 And that's, in terms of other asset classes, only a drop in a bucket compared to real estate or the bond market or the S&P 500. Any of the other asset classes, it's such a small asset class.
0: Can you talk about the importance of a cryptocurrency community and why it's important to look at that community when considering investing in the space?
2: So Bitcoin would not be what it is today if millions of people were not there to buy into it, to spend it, and to develop it. So whoever Satoshi Nakamoto is, those first few people who put together the system, whoever they are, they're not enough. This is bigger than one person or one group of people. What made Bitcoin so powerful, what launched the blockchain and the Bitcoin blockchain onto the scene was critical mass of millions of people developing, mining, spending and talking about this.
0: What would you say to somebody who said that it's too late to buy Bitcoin?
4: I would say it depends. One is, what is your stomach for risk? I know many people who bought Bitcoin at $12,000. They were very excited when it ran to $20,000 and cashed out. And so as a short-term play... It may be smart. In terms of a long-term play, I don't know. First, there's many unknowns, right? There's what will regulators do? Uh, We know what the tax code did, uh, that every cryptocurrency transaction is now a taxable event. So those are really factors that tend to discourage cryptocurrency trading. So in terms of is it too late? I tend not to be a Bitcoin maximalist, and I'm certainly not all together in favor of what the Decred white paper called the prototype coin, Bitcoin. That that was a prototype. And many people, particularly the Bitcoin maximalists, are gathering around the flag, highlighting that Bitcoin will go to a million dollars. I don't know. I'm not convinced by that argument because I see other algorithms that use a lot less electricity and tend to be fairer. Well, there's a couple of points here. So first, I'll be clear that obviously...
1: None of this constitutes advice. I'm not, um, nor is anybody a cryptocurrency advisor because it's a very unregulated space. But I think there will be cryptocurrency funds this year that people will be able to access via regulated means, which will be interesting. So, actually, if you look at Bitcoin today, Bitcoin is the sixth largest currency in the world. And when people say Bitcoin is dead and Bitcoin is doomed and Bitcoin's not here to stay, number six in currencies in the world out of nearly 300 countries. So Bitcoin's um, doing just okay. Now, there is obviously a possibility that Bitcoin could go to zero. There's a possibility that Bitcoin could go to $250,000 a coin. You know, you can't rule out those possibilities. But actually, there's also the possibility the dollar goes to zero, which most people think it already is. Same with the pound, same with the euro, inflationary currencies. So just like any other currency. The the interesting thing about Bitcoin is Bitcoin doesn't act just as a currency. Bitcoin acts as all three. So it kind of acts as a a currency, like a dollar, so you can trade it. I can go to a shop potentially with a Bitcoin card and I can pay for my goods. It also acts as a store of value, like a long-term store of value, which is then dictated by the share price, going up or down so the price of bitcoin as a currency going up or down and also it acts as a commodity it's a competitor to gold so basically you have a almost like a three-pronged currency with bitcoin it's a very fascinating thing and as you say if you actually think about the supply and demand of bitcoin all that's got to happen over the next 12 or 18 months with the current circulation of bitcoin are a few of the largest sovereign wealth funds or maybe banks and institutions as a defensive strategy. They want Bitcoin in case they get hacked. So they'll hold a lot on their accounts for hacking and things like that. If they start taking large tranches of Bitcoin out of the market and removing those from sort of the general people needing to invest with Coinbase, that creates a huge supply and demand. So what you would potentially have is millions and millions of people trying to buy about two or three million Bitcoin. And that creates the supply and demand. So the price predictions, if you look at people like Tim Draper, he's saying $250,000 coin by 2022. I wouldn't say that's going to happen. I think we'll have a six-figure sum per Bitcoin
4: by then, but it will purely be driven by supply and demand. I recently just read a paper where there's only 23 million Bitcoin wallets throughout the entire world. Well, there are over 7 billion people on the planet. And so if you think about network effects, let's say it were to double or triple, or let's say a billion people, one-seventh of all people in the world use cryptocurrencies, the network effect, and as a result, the wealth generation of that would be exponential. It's the most exciting game in town because it's the intersection of finance, but more particularly magical math, right, Uh, particularly network effect. In terms of investing in other Cryptocurrencies,
1: I mean, I would not veer away from anything that's a top 20 market cap. I think what we're doing is we are creating the next internet, which is the internet of value. And the companies that are in the top 10, maybe 15, maybe 20 market cap are all there because they're the best at what they do in that specific industry. So, like IOTA is Internet of Things, you've got Monero, which is privacy, you've got Ethereum, NEO, which are the utility smart contract-type scenarios. But actually, what you do always have to bear in mind is that this industry moves so quickly and so fast, there could be a new Ethereum in 12 months' time that takes two-thirds of Ethereum's market share because it doesn't have scalability issues, it's quicker, it works better, and it's quite a fickle industry that can move quite quickly which is kind of where it mirrors the tech bubble. So there are lots of different scenarios that could play out. A very high percentage of these businesses will fail because fundamentally they are tech startups. And if you look at a VC model, they expect eight in 10 to fail. It's a high risk, high reward market. You know, people shouldn't believe that this is a, put your life savings in and it's going to sort of give you a tenfold return on your retirement pot because that's not the way to do this because you could lose all your money. You have to be very careful.
4: I think when we're investing, and this was always the advice I think that's out there, is only invest the amount that you can reasonably lose.
0: Why do you think that millennials should pay attention to cryptocurrency? Like, what are the reasons why we, we might need to pay attention to this, whether it be investing or otherwise?
2: Well, I think, as I said before, that cryptocurrency genie is out of the bottle it's not going away maybe bitcoin you know will be replaced right uh, google was not the first search engine and very few people remember what the major search engine was before google so maybe you know a new cryptocurrency will emerge that will be bigger than bitcoin maybe bitcoin over time will be marginalized but the blockchain and cryptocurrencies are here to stay. And eventually, probably the traditional financial system will find a way to integrate the blockchain and cryptocurrencies into it. And the borders will, will blur and mesh. So if you're interested in investing, if you're interested in the new digital money, I think cryptocurrency is going To stay with us for a long time. I think it's just getting started. And I will not make any kind of investment advice, but I am a firm believer in the potential of the blockchain and in the future of cryptocurrencies as a whole. And so I don't know which cryptocurrency is going to last for years to come, but I do know that cryptocurrency is not going away.
1: Why should millennials pay attention to cryptocurrency? Look, we have a global debt crisis, trillions and trillions of dollars all over the world. And we have a scenario where the system is broken, huge deficits in pension funds. Every single pension fund that's attached to a FTSE 100 company or a NASDAQ company or a listed company, they are underfunded. They are billions and trillions in deficit. We have to provide a future for ourselves. And The way the world works, the way we work at the moment, we go to work, we get a salary, we pay something to a pension, we save. Millennials aren't interested in that. Millennials need more stimulation in a more immediate way. And people won't save for a 20 to 25 year outcome anymore. So people want more certainty, more security around their future. So what you have is this ridiculously tech savvy group of people, i.e. millennials and Gen Z, who are intrigued, inquisitive, they want to save, they want to do the right things for the future. And cryptocurrency is absolutely the ticket for these people. So a way of actually saving some money, being in control of your money, away from the distrust of traditional financial institutions and governments and banks, but then actually making money from my own existence and my own data and what I do. This is the future of the world. So people taking back a bit of control and being in charge of their own destiny and being able to make a freer and fairer sort of future for themselves
0: what an awesome episode this is such an exciting time in the world as our experts said while the types of cryptocurrency may change crypto as a concept is here to stay learning about cryptocurrency and keeping an ear out for what's new in the crypto world is crucial for making the best choices for our futures one of the most powerful parts of this episode for me was talking about why young professionals and millennials should be familiar with cryptocurrency and blockchain The potential of this new currency is unmatched. And the beauty is, it's still evolving. This is just the beginning. Think about it. Most of this audio was taken from four years ago, and it's literally more relevant now than it even was back then there is still time to get involved. And so much has changed since then. So stay tuned for a lot more content on NFTs, the Metaverse, Web 3.0, and so much more coming soon on Yap. I feel super passionate about getting my audience up to speed on all of these topics. So this is going to be a major content focus for the next few months so that we can all get the right foundation we need to be effective and ensure that we stay young and profiting. Remember, this is a high risk, high reward market. We don't know how it's gonna change, so be cautious if you're considering investing. A good rule of thumb is only invest what you're willing to lose. And lastly, it's okay if cryptocurrency and blockchains seem confusing or overwhelming. Remember what our experts said, you don't have to understand exactly how it all works, you just need to understand how you can use it. I think that's really solid advice. I hope this episode was a step in helping you understand how you can use these new currencies. I know it was for me when I listened to it and studied it when I first put out these episodes number two and three. And you can listen to the unedited versions. You can just scroll all the way back to episodes number two and three of YAP and hear the full conversation. It was about twice as long, so it's a lot more information. And if you've got the time, I highly encourage you go listen to that. We'll stick the links in the show notes. Thanks to my YAP team for all their support in putting together this show. And if you enjoyed this episode and you want to learn more about NFT content, let us know. DM me on Twitter or Instagram at Yap with Hala or find me on LinkedIn by searching my name. It's Hala Taha. You can also leave your feedback by dropping us a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform. Until next time, this is Hala signing off.